UFOs? Any UFOs? Did you ask about that? Certainly asked about it. And? Can't tell you. All right, I'll take that as a yes. Can UFOs. I say it used to be that UFOs was the, uh, and, and uh, what is it, Roswell was the biggest conspiracy? Yeah. And now that seems so tame, the idea that right. uh, the government might have an yeah. alien spaceship. That's now the biggest the, cassette to the top aliens of my won't list. let it happen. We <laughs> <laughs> reveal all their secrets. <laughs> they, look- they, they exercise strict control over us. Attached to the 5,593-page C-19 relief bill set in place December 21, 2020, is an unexpected proposition in the committee comments requesting for the Pentagon to brief Congress on all it knows about unidentified flying objects within 180 days. And I quote, Advanced aerial threats. The committee supports the efforts of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force at the Office of Naval Intelligence to standardize collection and reporting on unidentified aerial phenomenon, any links they have to adversarial foreign governments, and the threat they pose to U.S. military assets and installations. However, the committee remains concerned that there is no unified, comprehensive process within the federal government for collecting and analyzing intelligence on unidentified aerial phenomena. Despite the potential threat, the committee understands that the relevant intelligence may be sensitive. Nevertheless, the committee finds that the information sharing and coordination across the intelligence community has been inconsistent and this issue has lacked attention from senior leaders. Therefore, the committee directs the DNI in consultation with the Secretary of Defense and the heads of such other agencies as the Director and Secretary jointly consider relevant to submit a report within 180 days of the date of enactment of the Act to the Congressional Intelligence and Armed Services Committees on Identified Aerial Phenomena, also known as Anomalous Aerial Vehicles, including observed airborne objects that have not been identified. The committee further directs the report to include Number 1. A detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena data and intelligence reporting collected or held by the Office of Naval Intelligence, including data and intelligence reporting held by Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. Number two, a detailed analysis of unidentified phenomena data collected by A. Geospatial Intelligence, B. Signals Intelligence, C. Human Intelligence, and D. Measurement and Signals Intelligence. And number three, a detailed analysis of data of the FBI, which was derived from the investigations of intrusions of unidentified aerial phenomena data over restricted United States airspace. Number four, a detailed description of an interagency process for ensuring timely data collection and centralized analysis of all unidentified aerial phenomena reporting for the federal government, regardless of which service or agency acquired the information. Number five, identification of an official accountable for the process described in paragraph four. Listen to this. Six, number six, identification of potential aerospace or other threats posed by the unidentified aerial phenomena to national security and an assessment of whether this unidentified aerial phenomena activity may be attributed to one or more foreign adversaries. Do y'all hear that? There are concerns as to whether these extraterrestrials are assisting foreign powers, specifically our adversaries. 7. Identification of any incidents or patterns that indicate a potential adversary may have achieved breakthrough aerospace capabilities that could put United States strategic or conventional forces at risk. And number 8. Recommendations regarding increased collection of data, enhanced research and development, and additional funding and other resources. The report shall be submitted in unclassified form, but may include a classified annex. 
Did you know there's a government program called the Pentagon's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program that investigates UAPs or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And since its beginnings, it has taken on other names but all have the same goal, tracking unidentified aerial phenomena that various military agents have encountered. Now in 2020, the Defense Department even released three verified videos of UAPs encountered by naval pilots on their official website, defense.gov. Take a look. guy is a naval fighter pilot and he talked about this thing that they tracked on radar that went from more than 60,000 feet above sea level to one foot in less than a second shaped like a tic-tac no visible sign of propulsion uh, blocked radar uh, actively jammed their tracking systems and then went to their predetermined point that they were supposed to uh, that the uh, the fighter jet was supposed to scramble to went to it uh, 30 miles away in you know a couple seconds like they have no idea how it did it they, they don't know what it is okay. and these guys that were uh wor working for the navy off the coast said they had encountered them several times they didn't know what they were they didn't know what to do what did they, have, they like, just did photo or something I mean. they do they have video of it uh so on uh november 10th 2004 the uss princeton which is one of the uh the carriers that's a cruiser it's a, it's a cruiser. It's a cruiser. So you can't land on a... Uh, no, a, helicopter. A, it has a helicopter pad on the back. But. Gotcha. So, and it has weapons on it. Okay, gotcha. And it shoots the missiles up. But it has a nice radar. Just it's got like, an incredible Spy-1 system, phased array, four panels. So it looks in quadrants. Perfect. So they, they started noticing on November 10th that there is a few objects flying around at 28,000 feet with speed of... Uh, with a, What's I guess is considered a low speed of 120 miles an hour. Don't know what that's in knots, but uh, out on the coast of California. So, and they kept detecting these objects for just about a week. Then comes in like your part of the story, which is on November 14th from the, I guess it's from the USS Nimitz. Uh, you flew and witnessed a 
40 foot long white tic-tac-shaped object with no wings, flying in ways you've never thought possible. And uh, in some interview somewhere, you said, I think it was not from this world. So that there's a mysterious aspect to this object, to this entire situation. Uh, there's videos involved. The video of a flare forward looking infrared receiver. Receiver has also the visible light, so you can switch. Yeah, I mean, it's TV mode. It's a TV mode, so that gives you visible light, and then it has an IR mode. And uh, Chad Underwood recorded that video. So, And those are the videos that were released by the Pentagon later, one of the three videos. The two other videos, uh, Go Fast and Gimbal, were recorded in 2000-something, 14 or 15, 15 yeah. uh, on... Uh, East Coast of the United States, they had different kinds of objects, but they were weird in the same kind of way <laughs> in terms of at least the videos and the experiences that people have described were similar in, in the degree of weirdness. But uh, the difference is, is actually on the, the East Coast of the 2014 case, very few people have spoken about it. And even in your situation, very few people have spoken about it. So there's a mystery to it. Uh, but it's in some sense, it's a quite simple story without much resolution to the mystery. <laughs> and it's fascinating. And there's a lot of opinions. There's division of opinions because uh, it's a mysterious. I mean, it truly is a UFO in the sense that uh, UAP, uh, what is it? I, I, unidentified aerial, aerial phenomena. phenomena. Now they did publicly release this information, but this information was being released during a media flare up where you couldn't click on a channel and not hear them talking about C-19. And also while this news was still fresh, the international civil rights protests were taking place offset by the consecutive unjustified deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor. So you remember the atmosphere of the world, spring to summer of last year, 2020. A lot was going on and news like this rushed past 50 miles per hour at the bottom of every screen on every news station in tiny letters while viewers looked at all the controversy, tragedy, and turmoil taking place on the larger parts of their screens. So it went largely unnoticed. And if people did realize, they simply didn't care and were most likely desensitized to it all because at this point, nobody trusted the government and way too much was going on. Along with this was the false news being pushed of a parallel universe being confirmed where time moved backwards yet nobody seemed to care about this. Was this all a test just to see the reactions of the general public to news of this nature that looks like it will be furthermore leaked to us in the near future? Was it a test to prove that mankind is ready to accept the full scope of our existence and place in the universe amongst other beings and species from other planets? Now Elon Musk is the South African tech mogul behind SpaceX and Tesla. SpaceX designs, manufactures, and launches advanced rockets and spacecraft and focuses on revolutionizing space technology with the focus so far to call colonize Mars. Elon Musk is planning to sell all his properties to finance colonization on Mars and he is one of the richest men on earth. It has been shifting lately back and forth between him and Amazon founder Jeff Bezos but last year in 2020 Elon Musk took a stand against conspiracy theories and UFO disparagers who stood on the side of aliens and extraterrestrials not being real due to not seeing concrete evidence of such. In July he warned that artificial technology will take over humanity in less than five years and admitted to signing a 
document warning of the consequences of recklessly attempting to contact alien civilizations beyond our solar system. What's the deal with this document even existing if aliens don't exist? And is it okay for him to contact alien civilizations within our solar system? Questions that need answers, right? Okay, so such comments prompted Fox News anchor Maria Bonaromo into asking former President Donald Trump about setting up a UFO task force to which former President Donald Trump replied, well, I'm going to have to check on that. I mean, I've heard that. I heard that two days ago, so I'll check on it. America's vital interests in space lost out to special interests in Washington, except, of course, for the senators and congressmen here. They would never do it. Right, Dana? But all of that is changing. We know that. My administration is reclaiming America's heritage as the world's greatest spacefaring nation. The essence of the American character is to explore new horizons and to tame new frontiers. But our destiny beyond the Earth is not only a matter of national identity, but a matter of national security. So important for our military. So important. And people don't talk about it. When it comes to defending America, it is not enough to merely have an American presence in space. We must have American dominance in space. So important. Very importantly, I'm hereby directing the Department of Defense and Pentagon to immediately begin the process necessary to establish a space force as the sixth branch of the armed forces. That's a big statement. We are going to have the Air Force and we are going to have the Space Force, separate but equal. It is going to be something so important. This time, we will do more than plant our flag and leave our footprints. We will establish a long-term presence, expand our economy, and build the foundation for an eventual mission to Mars, which is actually going to happen very quickly. And, you know, I've always said that rich guys seem to like rockets. So all of those rich guys that are dying for our real estate to launch their rockets, we won't charge you too much. Just go ahead. If you beat us to Mars, we'll be very happy and you'll be even more famous. But they do like, explain that. Where's Eric? They do like rockets for some reason, huh? They like those rockets. But you know what? If, if as long as he's, as long as it's an American rich person, that's good, okay? <laughs> they can beat us. In a few moments, I will sign a new directive to federal departments and agencies. They will work together with American industry to implement a state-of-the-art framework for space traffic management. Now we are ready to begin the next great chapter of American space exploration. Legions of welders and metal workers, scientists and engineers stand ready to build a powerful new rocket and gleaming new spaceships, intrepid souls blazing through the sky and soaring into the heavens. Once more, we will summon the American spirit to tame the next great American frontier. And once more, we will proudly lead humanity. And that's what it is. It's humanity beyond the earth and into those forbidden skies. But they will not be forbidden for long. And remember, Economically, militarily, scientifically,
in every way. There is no place like space. Space. Going to be a lot of things happening in space. Because space is the world's newest warfighting domain. 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 Amid grave threats to our national security, American superiority in space is absolutely vital. American superiority in space is absolutely vital. And we're leading, but we're not leading by enough, but very shortly we'll be leading by a lot. The Space Force will help us deter aggression and control the ultimate high ground. With today's signing, I will proudly appoint General Jay Raymond, the first Chief of Space Operations, and he will become the very first member of the Space Force, and he will be on the Joint Chiefs. He will be on the Joint Chiefs, which are now expanding by one position. That's a very powerful position. So, General Raymond, congratulations, and thank you for everything you've done. Exactly. Yeah. But, but my question is, do you think there is other intelligent life outside the Earth? It seems probable, but I think this is, this is one of the great questions in physics and philosophy. Uh, is uh, where are the aliens? Maybe they're among us, I don't know. Uh, some people think I'm an alien. Not true, not true. But maybe we are aliens. Of course I'd say maybe that. Maybe we I? are alien, Ellen. I mean, if you look at this part of the world, yeah. they believe that human beings are not from Earth. They came from somewhere else. Eve Maybe. and Adam came from somewhere else to Earth. So in a way, human being alien to this mm -hmm. land. Do you think we'll make contact with alien within the, the next 50 years? Well, that's a really tough one to say. Um, I mean, if there are super intelligent aliens out there, they're probably already observing us, that would seem quite likely. And we just um, are not smart enough to realize it. Um, but I can do some, some back of the envelope calculations and um, any advanced alien civilization that, that was at all interested in populating the galaxy, um, even without uh, without exceeding the speed of light, even if you're only moving at, say, 10 or 20% of the speed of light, um, you could uh, populate the entire galaxy in, let's say, 10 million years. Maybe 20 million years max. This is nothing, you know, in the grand scheme of things. According to Insider, Musk 
plans to send 1 million people to Mars by the year 2050 by launching three Starship rockets every day and creating a lot of jobs on the red planet. Musk stated that relocating to Mars could cost upwards of $500,000 in the not too distant future. But as of the moment, which was 2019, he stated no amount of money will buy you a ticket to Mars. Since 2019, however, if you haven't noticed, there's been a sense of urgency to improve outer space presence and technology. I suspect they are willing to disclose this information now because they are grooming us for something. I also feel like we are in that movie 2012 where only the elite and wealthiest of the wealthy were able to afford a ticket to this bunker or ship to avoid end times. Which is why you see a lot of wealthy selling all their assets, handing over their companies, disappearing, and so forth. Look at the owner of Alibaba. He's been missing since last year and Alibaba is like China's version of Amazon and eBay. Look at Oprah selling own network or Lil Wayne allegedly selling Nicki Minaj and Drake's and his own masters. Do you understand just how much music these people have put out and how much your collection of masters is worth? Then there's Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, stepping down from Amazon. People are getting out of here. And honestly, I do feel like more and more of the elite and our celebrities will begin to disappear from the public eye and nobody will think twice about a lot of it because there's a pandemic going on. And when they start selling all their life's work of assets, people will just chuck it up to desperate times calling for desperate measures and say things like it's understandable considering this pandemic has them jobless just like it has millions of others jobless and say they have a certain lifestyle they have to maintain regardless of this pandemic so of course they're selling their assets and life's work and of course there will be a lot of celebrity deaths that are most likely fake but it could be chucked up to freak accidents tragedies and of course C-19. C-19 is very real. It has definitely killed a lot of people. But on the flip side, it serves multiple purposes. Extraterrestrials are interested in harvesting superior genetics. And you've heard the saying, the strong survive, the weak fall by. Well, if your body wasn't able to take C-19, then you in a way didn't make the cut. And then getting a vaccine could be a way for these extraterrestrials to now begin the process of testing our genetics or mutating them for whatever purposes. Also, C-19 serves as a distraction for the disappearance of certain people and the actions and moves of certain people in society who need to be able to get away and move how they need to for the sake of the bigger picture. And they need to be able to do all of this without the eyes of the public on them. And alongside that, C-19 is also causing a crackdown on the population's voice on social media. The censorship that's been put into effect since all this began is crazy, okay? But I, I do just want to make sure that um, I, I share some caution on this because... Um, we just don't know the long-term side effects of, of basically modifying people's um, DNA and RNA to, um, to directly encode in a person's DNA and, and RNA basically the ability to, um, to, to produce uh, those antibodies and whether that causes other mutations or other risks down, uh, downstream. So uh, there's work on both paths of vaccine development. That was from Facebook's internal weekly Q&A meeting in July 2020. So when Zuckerberg said, quote, basically, the vaccine is modifying people's DNA, it seems pretty clear modifying is synonymous with changing. Again, Zuckerberg would be banned from Facebook for saying this. In fact, this video of me showing the CEO of Facebook talking might be banned because he is violating Facebook's policy. Seems a little bit hypocritical. Don't you think? And then there's the separation gap of different classes, parties, political parties of people, and races of people widening 
due to tragic situations in the government during this time of C-19. People tend to never look into the so-called villain, yet everybody knows there's always multiple sides to a story, but nobody looks at the Bible's quote-unquote villain's motives. They are simply told they are evil or pagans who go against God and nobody questions it because it's religion and religion is dogmatic, meaning the truth is the truth no matter what. There's no questioning its authority and sacredness. Villains don't typically believe what they are doing is evil. To the villain in their head, they are fighting for a cause. They are doing what's best for them and those like them. And to the so-called protagonist, they feel the same thing, that they are the hero. So both parties are the heroes in their own stories. And to each other, they are both villains. Too bad history is told from the victor's point of view though, huh? With all that being said, nobody ever questions why Nimrod orchestrated the Tower of Babel to be built so he could battle God or the gods, these heavenly beings. Nimrod and all those involved are looked at as villains, but that's because the Old Testament is written only by those from Shem's line, the Semites, and the main ancestral line of Yeshua. And the New Testament is written only by Yeshua's disciples. There's no other side of the story here. Cam's lineage has no unified, publicly available body of work similar to the likes of the Bible to tell our side of the story throughout history. For the same reason, whenever persons from Cam or Yaphos lineage are mentioned, they more than usual are the villains because of the Bible's point of view. People don't look at the Bible like another book, so they don't realize it too has a purpose for being written, a setting, a plot, a climax, and point of view like any other text. Why was Nimrod building the Tower of Babel and why were the tongues of men scrambled originally into 70 different tongues is more than what it tells us. Why was bloodlines and lineages so important in the Bible? It's not what your pastor has told you. These people too sinned and went against God several times over. So it wasn't that they were not as big of sinners as Yaphiv and Cam. And it wasn't just Shem's lineage that felt their bloodline was more superior either. The book of Jasher mentions how the clans of Yaphiv started a thing where they would only marry into other Yaphetic lineages. Nowhere does it mention Cam's lineage made such a pact or ever mentioned such a thing. There's a reason why and it's darker than what you think. I will discuss this in the next part of this video however. But even until this day, committed descendants have this thing about not seeing color, race, culture. We will date and marry and interbreed with whoever we fall in love with and we don't have to give a disclosure to our family about our love interests, racial, religious, or cultural ways beforehand because it's simply not a big deal. Our families will welcome them in with open arms even if they are literally little gray people, which is not true for Semitic and Yephetic lineages, not by large anyways. There's a disclosure they have to give to their parents, letting them know something like, my boyfriend is black or not of our religion. And sometimes this even causes families to disown their own children. It gets that deep. This happened in the Bible when Esau married all Kemetic women except for one. Rebecca, his mother, frowned on him and said the Kemites were pagans and later in history it went from being a religious reason not to marry Kemites to interchangeably a racial thing sometimes. Why was this even a thing in the first place though? Three words. Genetics and division. For this reason, racism will never end because it's simply a means to an end and a part of an even bigger picture controlled by something bigger than our elites. Believe it or not, these fallen angels, these extraterrestrials, assimilated the institution of racism and classism as a means to an end. Not because skin color matters, but because genetics matter. Genetics are the prized product here. We are called perfect creations and there are lots of other species of extraterrestrials. Mankind was just created by the most elite of them all 
all and we were made in their image and from their genetics so while we may be inferior technology wise our genetics are superior to these other species of extraterrestrials and we are the perfect tech and creation even to our very own creators. It's just like how us humans have tech wars and always strive to build the perfect weapons of mass destruction to one-up each other. Except in this scenario, to these extraterrestrials, our genetics are the prized product. Mankind is the product. This whole thing brings a whole new meaning to who the us and our is in Genesis 1 and 26 where it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who is this us and our? It's definitely not the Son, Father, and Holy Spirit as you think of them anyway. But that's a story for part two of this video. United we stand, divided we fall. America's cliche that couldn't be any further from how we actually are as a nation. However, it's another reason the tongues were scrambled at the Tower of Babel. And there is a logical and reasonable reason Nimrod orchestrated an attack on these deities. He wasn't being a villain and when you get the full scope of it, you'll see. But like I said, there's always multiple sides of a story. The point of view and narrative told by those involved and the truth that usually lies in the middle ground perspective wise. But that's to be discussed in part 2 and 3 of this video. All I can say now is keeping bloodlines pure has been the motive for a reason. Scientists call pure untainted original experiments prototypes or blueprints. I'll just leave that there. But check out a few clips on how C-19 widened gaps between races, social classes, the government and the people, the authorities and the people, and created a divide so massive that 2020 seemed like something straight out of a movie. Just unbelievable. <laughs>
Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you, and we're going to walk down to the Capitol, and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. Protesters are in the building. Thank you. So go home. We love you. Go home. We love you. Go home. We love you. I mean, this thing literally had the world shut down as well. I'm talking the whole world. Do people not understand how crazy this is? Our whole planet was shut down. Our whole planet and while a lot of restrictions have lifted we are nowhere near how things used to be and they are about to place certain restrictions into place whereas you'll be cornered into getting that shot unless you won't be able to function in society while in the United States of America they can't really force us to do anything and get anything done to our body but they can corner us into getting it by saying we can't do things like enter the grocery store or another state or leave the country or attend school or work until we have the shot and they will say it's for the safety of everyone and we're just taking the necessary precautions to prevent the spread of c19 so just pay attention to what's going on so 
Are you planning on getting your vaccine? No. No? No. I don't trust it. I've never gotten the flu shot either, though. And you and I have talked about that. And several of the doctors on my team talked to me about, Wendy, we'll get the flu shot. I've never had the flu. I'm not getting a flu shot. I very rarely get a cold. I never have headaches. I don't take an aspirin because I feel my heart murmur or something like that. I'm not getting. No, I don't trust it. There, I said it. Yeah. So let me go back to vaccines for a second, because what you say and believe is so important to a lot of people. I mean, millions and millions of Americans are going to say Wendy Williams didn't get a vaccine, so I don't want to get a vaccine. So let me just ask you. If there's anything that could happen that would make you feel comfortable, 10 million people get vaccinated without a problem. Your neighbor gets vaccinated. A sibling, your son gets vaccinated. Someone that's dear to you gets vaccinated and does well. That might make you think, you know, just to get past the hassle of having to lie on my back, recovering from COVID-19 or maybe not recovering, uh, is not worth the risk that I might actually consider this vaccine. I'm not getting the vaccine. There's- Listen, 10 million people and more have the flu vaccine. And how many people per year catch the flu? You know, uh, I uh, no, I'm not getting the vaccine, Dr. Oz. I'm not. I don't trust it. And is there something in particular you don't trust about it? The fact that it was made quickly, the fact that we don't have enough follow up. What, what, what specifically is bothering you about it? Doctors are really smart people, but doctors don't know everything. And that's been proven as well. I'm not getting the vaccine. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't get the vaccine, everybody watching. I'm just saying I'm not getting the vaccine.
Well, I feel I feel quite uh, safe being uh, vaccinated twice. Still, uh, I think I would feel a bit uncomfortable to know that there are people around me which uh, are not vaccinated or uh, could infect or could be infected by me or by other people. question is how do we reopen uh, the market, the economy, the life without uh, harming uh, people that cannot or wouldn't get vaccinated. It's a question about balance um, and what is the balance? Do Are we as a society uh, allowed to impose vaccination on uh, people? Our answer is no. <laughs> The question is, what are they grooming us for? What is about to come that they feel that they need to release this information to us now after years of calling people conspiracy theories and crazy and psychotic and liars behind closed doors? They knew all of this was true. So the other part of the stimulus package that caught my eye was the United States concern about the Republic of China's collection of data and performing genetic testing and seeking to regulate or be made aware of how the genetic information and data that we, the United States, so to them is being used. Pages 3069 through 3070 of the bill goes into detail about this. I'll quote just a little bit of it where it states, an assessment of the extent to which the intelligence community and the department have identified risk and vulnerabilities posed by direct-to-consumer genetic testing and have sought to mitigate such risks and vulnerabilities or have plans for such mitigation, including the extent to which the intelligence community has determined in which the United States direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies, the government of the People's Republic of China, or entities owned or controlled by the government of the People's Republic of China have an ownership interest, and which United States direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies may have sold data to the government of the People's Republic of China or entities owned or controlled by the government of the People's Republic of China. The funny thing about China is the ancient history of it all. As stated in my Finding the Garden of Eden video, the Himalayas is where Noah's Ark landed. This explains the unexplainable biodiversity of the areas surrounding it, such as India. But the point is, the flood was sent to reset the earth. But there were other things that survived the flood, and these are ancient aliens. Some call them ancient aliens, historians call them the Anunnaki, religious and spiritual folks call them angels and fallen angels. They are all the same thing, beings from the heavens. Now there are different species of these beings as well, but the oriental phenotype that we mostly associate with slanted eyes, this phenotype comes from these clans in Eastern Asia as well as parts of Africa interbreeding with reptilians, a species of extraterrestrials. 
the most elite extraterrestrials actually. So you have Western Asians who we call Arabs by large and then we have our Eastern Asians on the other side of the Himalayas called Orientals who have this specific phenotype. Now these extraterrestrials, the fallen angels, the Anunnaki, they used to walk amongst mankind in the open but the flood or the last ice age, whatever you want to call it to help you sleep better at night. After that happened, they stopped being out in the open with us. Too beautiful, need a Chinese girl. This is the doctor who changed the future of the human race and let the world know on YouTube. He Jianghui stunned the scientific community with the claim he pushed the boundary no one else had. A line has been crossed that should not have been crossed. It's very disturbing. It's inappropriate. Oh, this is huge. He says he genetically edited human embryos, not just for research, but for implantation, leading to the world's first births of genetically altered humans, baby girls born in China from embryos designed to be resistant to HIV. For this specific case, I feel, it's a, I feel proud, actually. The tool used by He called CRISPR is found in labs around the world. It gives us the, the precise way of cutting the gene or putting a little piece of gene in. It's often used by researchers trying to treat incurable diseases. The method itself is very easy. You can use it, everybody can use it now. Leaders in the field of gene editing have collectively agreed it's too early to implant edited embryos in humans because of the risks, the unknowns, and the ethical questions about altering humankind. We're at a hinge of human history. William Hurlbut is a leading American bioethicist who teaches at Stanford University. In the months before the news broke, Dr. Hu consulted with him. Every time we met together, we would talk about the seriousness of the issues and in a sort of stepwise way, what you had to do to make sure that it was done right. But when I heard that there were live-born children from it, I thought, oh my gosh, he just jumped ahead. Hurlbut knew nothing of the plans to implant edited human embryos. Dr. Ho studied at Stanford as a postdoctoral fellow where he worked with leading researchers. Hurlbut describes him as smart but perhaps too trusting of his own wisdom. He's young, he's inexperienced, and he's, you know, he's from a small uh, rural community in, in China. His research has been shut down by Chinese authorities. It's also raised questions about whether there will be a rash of new regulations to stymie scientific development or if scientists can regulate themselves. We all want to be first, right? I mean, this is where you really feel that you're making a huge difference and you're getting recognition. Um, but I think in this particular case, the outcry from the community is so huge that I think it will slow things down. His work has already stoked fears about the future, what it could look like, how soon it could come, whether it includes designer babies, and if a tool found in labs around the world could one day make them. Alexandra Field, CNN, Hong Kong. General, I want to turn to the China threat. You were really among the first people to come on this program and raise the red flag about China. You told us that they were building uh, a, a very strong military. We know that they've got the largest navy in the world. Well, the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, uh, joined me on Sunday Morning Futures this weekend to talk about uh, the intelligence that shows the Chinese Communist Party and what it's doing. Here's John Ratcliffe. 
It's called gene editing. It's altering DNA. And it's one of the things that our intelligence shows that China is doing. They've got a, the PRC, the People's Republic of China, has two million strong in its military. And it's trying to make them stronger through, uh, you know, gene editing. And that's just one of the ways that, uh, uh, you know, China is trying to um, essentially dominate the planet and set the rules in the world order. And, and why it's so important and people need to understand is this is an authoritarian regime. It doesn't care about people's individual rights. We've seen what they've done to the Uyghurs. We've seen what they've done in Hong Kong. Um, it's about putting the state first. And um, that is the exact opposite of what has always made America great. What's your reaction? We've talked about what they're doing in their use of artificial intelligence in the military. But to actually do this gene editing and have this program to test members of the PLO, two million communists, to try to make them better and more equipped to handle extreme weather, more equipped to handle chemical attacks. Pretty extraordinary the lengths that they're going, General. Yes, it's not surprising. You know, as Director Radcliffe said, this is an authoritarian, it's a repressive regime that, uh, as a premium, is, is constantly in control of its people. And, and the fact that they're trying to use gene editing tools uh, to, to change the nature of human beings um, is not surprising, because this is who they really are. And we had that similar experience, did we not? Uh, with Nazism and that authoritarian regime trying to conduct human experiments to do the very same thing. It, it's really to advance the Chinese Communist Party and the state is what this is, this is all about. And the fact that they would take human beings and put them through this is quite something else. And the, and the ethical questions that surround that are certainly serious. It's one thing to use yeah. techniques like that to control disease. It's another thing when you're altering human beings that, that, is, that is clearly something that the United States uh, and like-minded countries, democracies, would never take on. I mean, is China readying to go to war with the United States? And meanwhile, you've got the financial services companies all in on China. Goldman Sachs going to acquire 100 percent of its securities firm there. What China wants to do, Maria, is dominate and control the Asia-Pacific region, which they have made some real progress at, at the expense of the United States. They are the most rapid-growing military in the world. They have a very strong economy. They're in a technology race right. to control the advanced technologies of the world. They want to dominate and control the world and change the international order, but they want to do it without having to fight a war. And they, they want to avoid that war, but they will use their military to, to bully, to intimidate, and if necessary, yeah. go to conflict if necessary. But they are, given the success they have had and the progress they've made um, okay. avoiding conflict, that's, that's really where they yeah. are. There are four different types of weapons of mass destruction. They are as follows, biological, chemical, nuclear, and radiological. Ultimately, to extraterrestrials, mankind's genetics are the prize product. So biological warfare would be their action plan. 
Joptan is the great-great-grandson of Shem and Cam. Eber from Shem's line was Joptan's father, and Joptan's mother was Azarad, the daughter of King Nimrod, who is the son of Cush, who is the son of Cam. Because of that, I believe the Seba or Saba or Sheba from Cam's Cushite lineage is the same as the Sheba from Shem's lineage, who is the Sheba that is the son of Joptan, who settled the lands that the famous queen of Sheba, Makita, came from. Joptan's brother was Pele. Peleg is the one whose descendants the rest of the Bible is written by and focuses on and of whose line Yeshua is born into. I want to touch bases on something here in reference to Azarad, the mother of Joktan and Peleg, and the daughter of King Nimrod, who was the king of kings. Azarad was a princess as her brothers and uncles were princes of the land, and it is speculated that her cousin Shen, whose name has variants as Sinai or Sin, traveled along with them or later followed in their direction, thus the presence of Sino, Sin, Chen, or Quen being so present in the Orient language. Those who came from the Far East to trade were called Sinai by the even today you find evidence of Shen in China. Just look at the name China. Greek astronomer Ptolemy referred to China as the land of the Sinem or Sinai. Isaiah 49 and 12 notes the Sinem came from afar, but specifically not from the north and not from the west. Arabs called China Sin, Chen, Mahachin, or Machin. The Sinai were spoken of as a people in the remotest parts of Asia. For the Sinai, the most important town was Thanay, a great trading emporium in western China. The city Thanay is now known as the Sin or Ten, and it lies in the province of Shenzi. Much of China was ruled before by the Sino-Kitan Empire, which Beijing became the southern capital of. The Sinai became independent in western China their princes reigning there for some 650 years before they finally gained dominion over the whole land. Sin was after all a child of Canaan and probably just like his father and going where he was not allowed to go and planted roots in the same manner Canaan did in staking the promised land of Shems as his own. Ancient Canaanites also spoke Semitic languages. Canaan's other son Heth must be took after his father as well as he is the progenitor of the Hittites. The term Hittite in cuneiform which is the earliest form of writing invented by the Sumerians appears as Kite, representing a once powerful nation from the far east known as Katai, and has been preserved through the centuries in the more familiar term of Cathay. The Cathay were Mongoloids and considered a part of early Chinese stock. This is where the presence of KH as a prefix in Eastern Asia stems from. The Hittites and the Sinites in the east became progenitors of the Mongoloid races in Eastern Asians and indigenous Americans. In Egyptian monuments, the Hittites Hittite peoples were depicted with prominent noses, full lips, high cheekbones, hairless faces, varying skin colors ranging from brown to yellowish to reddish with straight black hair and dark brown eyes. In other words, they look like Blasians, which are black Asians. In short, Shin and Heth were the progenitors of the Sino-Ketan Empire. The Sino-Ketan Empire became present-day China. Shin and Heth were sons of Canaan, and Canaan is the son of Cam, and Cam is the middle child of Noah and the progenitor of the Kemetic lineage. Most people associate Kemet with Egypt, as it was the name of Egypt in ancient times. However, Cam's allotment, according to Jubilees contained all the hot lands south in the world, not just Africa, as is speculated from the Hebrew Bible. Canaan is the son who sodomized Noah and castrated him. I will explain this in detail later in this series as I'm sure you have questions. However, the point is that the Canaanites were known for being sexually taboo and liberated, so I wouldn't put it past them to have sex with these reptilians.
The infamous towns of Sodom and Gomorrah were Canaanite towns. Being grandchildren of Cam alone is enough reason that Shin and Heth's clans were more than likely to interbreed with the fallen angels, but like I said, those details will be explained later in this series. So you have Western Asians who we call Arabs by large, and then we have our Eastern Asians on the other side of the Himalayas called Orientals who have this specific phenotype. Now these extraterrestrials, the fallen angels, the Anunnaki, they used to walk amongst mankind in the open, but the flood or the last ice age, whatever you want to call it to help you sleep better at night. After that happened, they stopped being out in the open with us. But why are these advanced and powerful beings hiding? Thanks for watching. Next, in part 2, we will discuss what is really in the North Pole, why they removed it from maps, and the story of the Anunnaki and how this all ties into everything we are taught and know in modern society. Also, we'll talk about how racism is not the bigger picture and it's just a means to an end put in place by these fallen angels slash extraterrestrials. I'm giving you the full breakdown. Stay tuned for more. Also, you can now check out all my videos in podcast format as Tish Alley on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcast, and more. Please see description for more details. For more discussions of conspiracy theories or odd and unusual things that happen on this planet or in outer space or anywhere, please like, comment, and subscribe. I will not let you down. Also, what are some conspiracy theories you would like for me to talk about? Because I've heard a lot, but obviously I haven't heard them all. Please comment down below and let me know.